Now, Pastor Steve started this series, Crucial Conversations, last week, and he talked about how God is accessible in prayer, that through Jesus as our intercessor, as our mediator, we can go to God and enter the throne of grace with confidence, as the scriptures say. And so we don't have to pretty ourselves up. We don't have to like get better. We don't have to improve our behavior in order to go to the throne room of God in prayer. What God does through the grace of Jesus is that we can just go as we are, and then as we are in the presence, then we find ourselves being changed in the process. We don't have to change ourselves in order to get to God in prayer. We can go to God to prayer and in that process we find ourselves being changed. And so we are called to boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence that we can go to God even in conversation. God, I'm feeling this way today. I'm having this issue today. And we can go to God with whatever is real and authentic within us. But as we do that, there might be some questions that arise for you. Now, if you're a seasoned prayer, you find yourself as a prayer warrior, as we say, you might exact, know exactly what to do in that moment in prayer, the words to say, where to take things. But some of us might be asking, okay, so now what? What do I say and how do I say it? And I want to suggest to you that those two questions are important, not just for the novice in praying, but for the experienced prayer as well. To take a step back and to say, okay, God, how, what am I supposed to be praying about and how am I supposed to be praying it? And the reason is that most of us find, if you're like me, most of us find that the types of things that we find ourselves praying about are concerning and out of our own personal perspective. We are the ones that create the topics. We are the ones that have the subject line when it comes to our crucial conversations with God. Now, on one hand, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Paul instructs in many occasions, but especially the Philippian church, he says, make your requests known before God. But there is something to be said for how we construct our prayers simply out of our, our own experience. And not just the subject matter of our prayers, uh, but also the outcomes that we hope to see, in many ways, the reason why we come to prayer in the first place. A few years back, there was a survey done by Lifeway Ministries uh, polling people the kinds of things that they find themselves praying over. And it would be no surprise to you that the top thing on the list, 80, over 80%, was family and friends. Those that are close to us, those that we have a particular heart and care and love and concern for, we lift them up. And that's important. We should all be doing that. But the list goes on and all the subsequent things that we tend to pray over all have to do with the things that we, well, they affect us essentially praying for ourselves and the things that, that interest us. Even to the point where 13% of these prayers, and when you look at the list, you, this is actually significant, 13% of these prayers incorporate their own sports teams in these particular prayers. Now I have a suspicion, I just, I have a suspicion that none of this 13% includes Browns fans, because as my grandma said, they don't have a prayer. So, but we, we construct often 
the prayers, the subject of prayers, but also the outcomes that even call us to pray in, in the first place. And in that, we might find that our perspective and the desire of, of, of the outcome for our prayers is extremely limited. A few examples of this. The first is what I would call contradictory prayers. This is the young boy who is ready to play his first little league game and asks God that there would be no rain so that he could play his first little league game. But at the very same time, there's a farmer down the road <laughs> has had a dry spell and is begging God, would you bring rain? What is God to do in that moment? There's, all, there's other examples, and by the way, Let's just be mindful of the fact that as much as we might be praying for our candidate of choice in early November, there's probably others praying the other way about that. What has God to do in that case? There's another uh, type of prayer I call prayers of ignorance. You know, I had a series of, of dating relationships before I met my wife, Amanda, and I prayed over all of those dating relationships. I'm so glad that God did not answer those prayers about those relationships, and they always say hindsight is twenty twenty. We could look back and say, God, thank you that you did not answer that prayer. Dodged a bullet there. Another type of prayer I think about is um, prayers of endorsement, where we are already going to be doing something. We are hell-bent on, on doing something, and so we're just asking God to endorse the thing that we're already going to be doing, like prayers for good health. Lord, would you bless me with good health? I'm making no effort for diet and exercise, but would you please bless me with, with good health? I think you can see that if we construct our prayers only through our own limited experience, only through our own limited perspective, only for the things and the outcomes that we care about, we might be missing something that God is calling us to in prayer much bigger, much bigger than ourselves. And that to enter the throne room of grace with confidence also means to approach the, the throne with humility, to understand that while we are wishing for something to happen, we're looking for a change in circumstance that, that the ways of God that are not necessarily our ways and the thoughts of God that not necessarily our thoughts, God might have something even better in mind beyond what we could ever comprehend. And so even coming to the place of, of prayer I think requires us to, to have the same heart and, and posture of one of the disciples that we read about in Luke chapter 11, verse one. This disciple, he's looking at Jesus and he's viewing how Jesus is praying and he's curious enough to see how Jesus is modeling a life of prayer that he wants to know more. And so he says, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus goes on to teach what we know as the, the, Lord's, the Lord's prayer. But I love that request. And it's almost like the prayer before the prayer, right? Lord, teach us how to pray. What would it look like if instead of just beginning our, our requests and our lists and our, 
you know, our menu items that God needs to take care of. Instead, we started with, Lord, I don't even know where to begin. Would you teach me in this moment of prayer, would you teach me how to pray? And so it's out of that idea that God calls us beyond ourselves into something more. We're gonna explore a little bit further about what prayer looks like when we do that, when we go beyond our own concerns towards, specifically towards other people and other situations. So we're gonna be in 2 Timothy chapter two. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter two, verses one through six. Now, one of the interesting things when we're doing a Bible study in Scripture is that um, most of Scripture was written in a day when only certain people could read or write. And so a lot of Scriptures that were written down were meant to be read in front of an assembly like this. And so sometimes there's almost this oratory nature to the Scriptures where we might catch a, a repeated word and you, oh, the author's doing something in this. So the Apostle Paul writing to his dear son in the faith, Timothy, in his letter, instructing him how to be a leader as he's serving in the church in the city of Ephesus. And so I've highlighted here for you this repeated word that caught my eye when I was reading this. I'm just gonna read it for you and if you see the word, you can just shout it out as, um, as I read along. It says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And you read this, it's this supplication, this, this instruction on, on prayer and we get this simple phrase, all means all. All means all. Even for kings and all those in authority. Now I have to tell you and confess to you that this is one of the scriptures that Pastor Steve and I had explored um, for, for this particular sermon. And I had my own crucial conversation with God as I was preparing for this earlier in the week because I wanted to live a peaceful and quiet life as well. And I didn't want to bring up anything political. And yet I kept reading and I kept reading and I realized that the reason why I wanted to avoid, to avoid the scripture was because it was all too important for this day. Yes, even for those kings and those in authority. Many scholars would say that the king, the Caesar in charge of the people in that day in the Roman Empire was not only but the, the Nero himself. Nero considered the most ruthless empire of the Roman, uh, Roman Empire emperor against the Christians, the early church of that day. In AD 64, set a fire to his own city just so that he could justify persecution of the Christians. 
And even if it wasn't Nero, there certainly was enough persecution to go around, we find, as it's noted in all throughout the New Testament. This prayer for kings and all authority was not an endorsement prayer. It was not prayer for their particular candidate of choice this time around in the four-year cycle. No, these were the very enemies of the church, the persecutors, the ruthless ones. In fact, this particular scripture would fall in line very much with what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter five, to pray for those, to love your enemies, and to pray for those who persecute you. To go even to the extent in your prayers to pray for the very people that you would not list on your heart. The very people that are against you. Yes, pray for those people as well. And this, would, what, this is what would set apart the people following the Jesus way in the New Testament. Because what was true back then is true today. We find ourselves simply naturally praying for our loved ones, those who love us back. We pray for the concerns that we hold within our scope and our perspective. And here is Jesus and and Paul specifically taking it even further for us that if you want to be a person of prayer, if you're going to enter the throne of grace with confidence and you're going to list your requests before God, do not limit them to simply what you care about who loves you and your circumstances for your benefit and your flourishing. To pray even for the enemies among us, kings and those with authority, those that have authority, that the decisions that they make affect you and your life, your boss, the politicians of the day, the Supreme Court justices, the presidents of the day, those who have decision-making power that affect your life. Yes, pray for those as well. And of course, the desire was for the Christians to live peaceful and quiet lives so that they could be about the, the work of God and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This practice of praying for kings and praying for those in authority, praying for other people is a word that we we use in church called intercession. Intercession. And intercession simply means to stand in between or as some people have said, stand in the gap between a person and a situation and God himself. That as much as Christ is the primary mediator to pray prayers of intercession is also to share in that ministry of mediation between a situation and person and God himself. And in doing so, even for those that are against us, we take on a a heart of of compassion. Brian McLaren, an author, theologian, he said this, he calls it intercession, a practicing out of compassion, practicing compassion. In his book, Naked Spirituality, he says, when we practice compassion through simple words of intercession, we affirm two profound truths. First, 
that God cares for all who suffer and are in need, and second, that we care too. As simple as that. And so, I imagine intercession isn't a new thing for you. In fact, friends and family are the the primary subject that people typically pray for. Many of you know what it's like to stand in the gap, particularly for those that you care about and love. But what does it look like to stand in the gap for all people? Because all means all. A couple of thoughts. The first is that if we are going to stand in the gap and be a bridge between a situation and a person and God himself, that we must stay tethered to the very heart of God. We must stay tethered to the very compassion and heart and care and concern of God our Father. One of the major prayer requests that my wife and I have had over the years, some of you are familiar with, and some of you joined us in these prayers, was for our our daughter Josephine when she was born. She was born with hip dysplasia, and her one leg was not in the socket when she was born, and so her hip began to form accordingly without the the leg, and even after the leg was put back in place, the hip had a hard time forming itself in the right way, which would have led to problems down the road with her hip, maybe requiring hip surgery at age 35. And we know that the children are born with lots of different things and with many different concerns, And this, maybe if we were to rank different concerns, I know friends that have had issues uh, with their children being born with maladies that are far greater and more more dire than what we did. But this was something on our hearts that we wanted to, to, to pray for. And I can remember going in for a small procedure, taking her in for a small procedure uh, at the hospital early in the morning, driving, taking all, making all the preparations and, and driving our, our daughter uh, and sitting in that waiting room, waiting our, for our names to be called, along with all of the other parents that are there, frantic, anxious, knowing full well that there are all kinds of things that, that could happen. And the helplessness that all of us felt as parents going and taking our children into, into surgery. And then leaving them there for the, for the procedure and going back into that waiting room, pretending to be calm and cool, but inwardly so frantic and anxious. Even the most minor surgery, we had these feelings of anxiety and care waiting for, for the outcome. Friends, this is prayer. This is intercessory prayer. It is to bring a person to the great physician, to the great encourager, to the God of love and compassion, the God of all circumstances. It is to take an individual and bring them and drive them to the presence of God that as much as you will enter the throne room with grace and confidence that you would bring others along with you and lay them before the great physician, the great God of love, Lay them before God and to stay and sit and wait in the waiting room in prayer. To be persistent and steadfast in those prayers. 
To not simply just throw prayers at the ceiling and check your box off, check, check mark your box and say, you've done your good deed for this fellow person. But to sit in the waiting room and pour yourself over and out in prayer. And sitting sometimes even in the helplessness of not knowing what the outcome might be. One of my favorite books on prayer is simply called Prayer by an old Dutch theologian named Ole Hallisby. And here's what he says about intercessory prayer. He says, we should through prayer give Jesus the opportunity of gaining access to our souls, our bodies, our homes, our neighborhoods, our countries, to the whole world, to the fellowship believers, and to the unsaved. It is to remain tethered to the very heart of God, bringing a person to the very presence of God, laying them before God, even if you don't know what the outcome may bring. And what sets the Christians apart, the followers of the way of Jesus, is that yes, we would naturally do this for those that care for us, those loved ones that, are, that we have responsibility for, that we have burdens over, but also to the stranger and even to our enemy. Giving them over to God. And then in giving them over to God to uh, do what uh, Leroy Elms says in his book, more, Prayer More Than Words, he says to unburden yourself before God. In this book, Leroy Elms, he talks about a situation about his daughter who became a teenager and just like her older brother before her, she started to fall into the wrong, the wrong crowd. Some of you parents could say amen. She started falling into the wrong crowd and there's a lot of concern as to where this might lead because there are some ways in which her older brother, it, it led him in the wrong direction. It created lots of problems and they didn't want to see the same thing happen to her. They were fearful. And so he said that he gathered, he and his wife gathered together and he described it this way. We unburdened our hearts. We unburdened our hearts to God. To stay tethered to the very heart of God and then to unburden ourselves. Unburden our hearts before God in faith and trust that while we might not know the outcome and while we might not fully understand, we believe and trust and gain access to a God that does. These prayers of, of faith are the types of prayers that my wife and I found ourselves praying over our daughter, Josephine, and not even diagnosing anything or understanding how prayer works. There's a mystery in prayer. But remaining steadfast in those prayers, um, several months ago we found that actually she didn't need the surgery that was told to us before, that she absolutely needed, and that the hip was starting to grow just like it was supposed to. So, thanks. Thanks. 
We don't know all the things when it comes to prayer. There's a mystery in it. There is a limited understanding. And even in the midst of our greatest wishes and desires, even when we think that what we desire is exactly what God desires, when we come before God, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence and yet humility to know that we are not the great physician, but we are bringing our concerns to the great physician, to the great God of love, to the great encourager, to the God of all circumstances. And this is the prayer that Jesus prayed. Knowing that on the eve of his betrayal and his execution, knowing that his life would be taken from him, goes before God and asks simply this, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And then afterwards, after that prayer, adds something that is so critical for us, yet not as I will, but as you will. But not what I want, God, but what you want, ultimately, oh God. Can we make this also our prayer? The posture of our hearts in prayer, amidst all of our wishes and desires and the things that we pray over, unburdening our requests, could we, could we also take on that posture, but not our will? Yours be done. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your accessibility in prayer that we can come before you with anything and we can make our requests known to you. But God, we are human and we are limited and we recognize in full humility that sometimes the things that we pray over are not your, your ways. And so God, I pray that as much as we want the circumstances around us to change, do what you will. Let your will be done and not ours. And if that be the case, Lord God, change our hearts. Change our prayers even if we, as we uh, dedicate ourselves and commit ourselves to sitting in the, in the waiting room of prayer so that our hearts can align with yours. I pray over this uh, call to prayer, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that we would um, sense the urgency of it. I pray that we would understand the importance of it. That to abide with you in prayer, in the midst of all the difficulties that we face, there is no greater place to be. So thank you for your great invitation to bring all things to you, but may your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us here this morning. Keep in mind there's gonna be a series of questions that pop up on the screen. This is a way for you to reflect on these questions throughout the week based off of the message, or if you're with your loved ones, take some time to discuss these things. We want you to grow in your life of prayer and also in your relationship with God.
Now, speaking of prayer, we're in the midst of a larger call to prayer where that involves daily prayer activities, a prayer event on September 26th, and a week of fasting and prayer for your church. All of the information can be found on our website, whfriends.org. Go to the homepage and click on the image that says a call to prayer. Leading into October 4th, we are going to also be engaged in a series of groups, online groups that will happen Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. The details will be unveiled as we go along, but consider how you might join an online group, journey with others through the book of Acts as we seek to learn what it means to be God's people during this unprecedented time. Of course, there's all kinds of exciting things happening in the life of the church, especially during this time. So stay tuned in to our social media, our website, whfriends.org. And of course, we are so grateful for everything that you give, not only in your service, but also in your giving. So God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you.